Father, we pray this morning that as we study this revelation, that you would open it up to us. I pray that you would cause us to stay awake, that you would cause us to hear what we need to hear, and that from this you would give us confidence and assurance and life, and also, Father, that you would give us a deeper understanding into this world around us and the sin and evil that is resident there. I pray that you would bless my words and uh, the ears of everyone who is here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're travelling through chapter 17. Um, we are not doing the explain every detail. We've been doing building up, so we're, we're just going for the themes, and that's uh, good. But I want to tell you this, in chapters 17 to 20, you know you could preach that all in one sermon. It would be a really long one, but that's okay. Because chapters 17 to 20 of the Revelation speak about one thing in particular. God's victory over all of his enemies. The whole lot of them. Every one of them. None can stand against him. Uh, As you look around this world, you see much evil. Evil stays unnumbered. It's going to come to an end. God is going to destroy every aspect of evil. Okay? So the knowledge of this is supposed to bring us great peace and joy. But there's a fairly graphic description of evil that is going to be destroyed. And uh, so that's what we're talking about. It. I am making five points. You'll be glad to know that the first three are long and the last two are short. How about that? But um, the first one is the unveiling of the nature of evil. Then how does evil do business? What's evil's way of life? What is the life of the saint in light of this evil? Then we're going to talk about evil as a kingdom divided and judged. And then we're going to look at the comparison of the kingdom of darkness to the purity and authority and glory of God. But we're going to start with the unveiling of evil uh, and the nature of evil. So I'm reading from chapter 17, verse 1 to 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of, the, of, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Okay, we're going to start there. Uh, One of the angels from the previous chapter says he is going to show John the punishment of the great prostitute as well as who this great prostitute is. Sometimes called the the whore of Babylon. You've heard that description. 
That's what she's called. And if you remember, this is a continuation from last chapter, actually, that she represents the world. She represents, what does the world mean? Not just the world as we know it, but all people of this world, leaders, kings, governments, and so on, in their corporate opposition and hatred towards God, with all their plans and schemes and desires to become rulers over God themselves throughout time, is Babylon. It began at the Tower of Babel, right? That's where the first time that evil was named as Babel or Babylon. And Babylon was the group of people gathered together who said, we're going to build a name for ourselves, a tower that reaches to heaven. They... They believed they had the ability to do whatever they liked and they believed that they were glorious. Now God confused them and put their plans to an end but that feeling of humanity, corporate designed to be its own God has been in this world ever since. And this chapter calls that Babylon or the great prostitute. Okay. She's seated on many waters because she's seated on that place. The waters in the Revelation are the place where all evil comes from and all evil is springing from her. This great prostitute commits adultery with the kings of the earth. What does this mean? It means that the kings of this earth are driven to their own power-hungry addictions and, and they're seduced into lust with addictions and the showy glory of this world. It's a negative picture of the world, isn't it? Yeah. The kings and the inhabitants of the earth become intoxicated or drunk with the adulteries, and this intoxication causes them to be futile and sinful and very, very angry. Okay, that actually describes the lusts of our world. Not just the, not just sexual lust, but the lust for everything, isn't it? Power-hungry intoxication. People are actually drunk with a desire for more. Jeremiah fifty-one seven says, "Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, and therefore." The nations went mad. When you drink of Babylon's wine, you go mad. Okay. The acts of adultery with this prostitute bring a delusion and a delight in every kind of evil. And John sees this woman, which the angels described. It says he's carried off into the desert. The desert is actually the safe place in Scripture. It's the place where God takes people and it's like, come to a safe vantage point and you can watch this very evil thing, right? And he can view this prostitute and we see that she is sitting on a scarlet beast. And that beast, we found out in chapter 13, represents Satan's power on the earth. Quite simply, the world... Rides on Satan's back. Right? It's a wild ride. It's not a good ride. And as we'll see in a while, it's not going to end well. This beast 
This Satan has seven heads, which means he's very, very smart. And he has ten horns, meaning he has much power, a lot of power. And he's covered in blasphemous names. He is completely opposed to God at every point. And this uh, prostitute is dressed in royal dress, gaudy, horrible, scarlet, purple, royalty, luxury. She glitters with gold and precious stones. She's impressive to look at, actually. She is the symbol of opulence and decadence. And she drinks from a golden cup. But what's actually in that cup is abominations and filth. That's what she drinks. Very attractive cup. The temptations of this world are like that. Come to me, says the world. Come to me, says the devil. Drink from my golden cup. And you drink filth and pain, agony. The prostitute rides on the back of the beast. The world rides... You know, the world thinks it's pretty smart. We can do all these things. We muck up our own ideas. We do these great things. And the whole time, they are led by the devil. He's driving all of the evil. And they work together on a path to destruction. Now, the name uh, is this mystery. The name on the woman's head. But... It's a mystery to all those in the world who are not of God. But to Christians, they know who she is. Christians in the power of the Spirit can recognise the evil of this world and not enter into it. Do you know that? Yep. So we see people do great and wonderful things and Christians go, yeah, but that's not of God. That's not in the glory of Jesus Christ. It's something you understand... We have the ability to see the mystery. Or in 2 Thessalonians, Paul calls it the secret power of lawlessness. People living in a delusion and believing a lie. Because you see, sin is deceitful. It deceives people. People think they're living in wonderfulness, if that's a word, and actually they're living deceived. Unless they know Jesus Christ. And then the spirit of truth lives in us and we can see clearly the work of the devil. So she's Babylon the Great. She's considered to be great by humans. Greatly adored but an enemy of God. The mother of all prostitutes. All idolatries and adulteries come from her. From her comes the abominations of the earth. All moral filth, pollution... From all the nations come forth from her. Okay. This is the world outside of Christ. Sometimes we can think that the world is neutral. It's not. Okay. It's evil. It is deep and powerful and sickening and opposed to God. Okay. How does evil do business? Now I'm going to pick in... To answer this, I'm picking from the whole passage, but I'm going to read verses 7 to 14 now. When I saw her, I greatly marvelled. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the the dwellers of the earth 
whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is and the other is not, it has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth that belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. They're of one mind and they hand over the power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are are called and chosen and faithful. Okay, there's a lot in there and there's a lot of kings and kings rising and kings falling and stuff like that. And actually there's a whole lot of dispute over that and I'm going to pick the actual, just the guts of it, if that's okay with you. But when John sees this great prostitute, he's astonished. The Greek says something like, I wondered seeing her with a great wonder. He looked at the bright lights of the world with all its lusts and stuff and went, wow. Yep. Even from a safe place, it's seductive, the world. It's seductive to every one of us. Don't we often get caught up in that? Yep. Don't live in awe and wonder, Christians. Don't try and imitate this woman. She does a number of things that she uses to seduce people and trick people. But there's three really main ones that are throughout this passage. She uses riches to seduce people. She uses Immorality, sexual immorality, and she uses power. That's the three big things. It's the devil's way of working. It's the world's way of working. Okay? And these particular seven, uh, verses 7 to 13, are talking about power. And it mentions seven mountains, and, and most people agree that the seven mountains was known as Rome. Rome had seven, it was a city built on seven mountains or seven hills. That's, that's how it was known. Rome was also, at that point in time, the most powerful nation on earth. Okay? It's not the most powerful nation on earth to us now. It's been gone for a lot of years. But there is always a, a nation on top of the pile in this world. Is that true? Always has been. Yep. It's just now that the, the top nation is just good in every way. That was a joke. Oh, it's a shocking thing to hear people say that. Uh, sometimes people see uh, that uh, the future of the Catholic Church and stuff in Rome. However, there was no Catholic Church in Rome at that time. I think it's more about the power of the nation that ruled over the people at that time. It actually lasted for about 500 years, Rome, till about 450 AD. Um, behind the lust for power is great evil and the power and the riches and also 
hidden some of the time and sometimes not, is horrible sexual immorality. It comes out generally when the next government comes in, doesn't it? About what the previous one really was doing. Yeah? And even the good ones turn out to be not so good after all. Money, sex and power run together and the power of, of ruling over people draws that, all that in. And even uh, innocent people who get caught up in that are destroyed. We want more power for longer. It's never changed. It's just the way of sin. It's the way of evil. The world is riding on the back of the devil. Now, you notice that these, these kingdoms are rising and falling and for an hour? It's not a very long time, is it? We've never had a government that short in Australia, although we've had about 10 prime ministers in the last 10 years or something, haven't we? Uh, I think that's actually what it means. It's not talking about a literal hour. It's saying that nations will rise and fall, and though when we're in the middle of them, you think that nation is so strong, it will never end. It's only going to last an hour, and the next one's going to come in. Do you understand? The powers of this were, like I say... You, nothing was stronger than the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire has been gone now for 1,500, 1,600 years. We don't even remember it. It's just a blip in history. And so will the nations that rise and fall now. They'll last an hour. They'll seem unstoppable at the time and soon they will be dust. Bad memories. They have ten horns. They have great power, great strength. And that's given them for a time and then it's taken away. What I want you to see this, Christians, do not put your trust in the nations of this world. Because we often do. Do not trust in their power. Do not think, do not think oh, if, we are, if we're allies with them once, we're safe. Don't do that, okay? Don't trust in their power. It's full of evil. Just below the surface. And it's a very strange thing that the nations that Christians look to as being more Christian are often perverse and deviant. But more Christian. No. You see, that's the nature. We watched a horrible series on TV. Uh, I'll, I'll name it. It's called Prosper. You might not see it. It's about... I don't, I'm not telling you to go and watch it. It's about a mega, an imaginary mega church in Australia. And it is corrupt and horrible to the core. And yet, it, it becomes obvious that this church is right in the back of Satan. It's lust for power. It's lust for money. And, and sexual immorality is just below the surface of every kind. The church is vain if it believes that it can harness, when I say harness, I'm talking about a harness riding the back of a horse, if it believes that it can harness worldly power and make it good because it ends up down the same toilet. You understand what I'm saying? The world, that the, the church can't believe that it will produce the best version of the world where it rightly uses these things. Because these things are out... We can't handle money and riches and power. It, it drives us to corruption. Do you get what I'm saying? 
None of us here. Yep. As soon as a pastor thinks he's above everybody else and has that power and naturally deserves more money then and below, it, it, it corrupts a heart to all sorts of lusts. That's what happens. Human beings can't handle this. It's not true that if we have powerful Christians in government that suddenly the world will become more beautiful. That's not God's way. And if we had lots more money, somehow we could use it all and the whole world would become a church. That's not how it works. What it ends up is a church that looks just like the world, indistinguishable from it, full of every kind of sin and violence again, which is what this movie we watched was about. So don't think that power and money will help the church's cause in the world. It actually drives the church into evil. The truth is, God already has all authority. Do you know that? Jesus already is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Why do we want more authority? He's already got it. He is already ruling. Do you know that? He will defeat evil himself. He ultimately uses evil for his own purposes. And every dollar in every wallet and every bank account is already his. He doesn't need more money. That's right. He can bring about his purposes without an offering. How about that? He doesn't need us to be rich. He wants us to trust in him. And he will give us our daily millions. Oh, sorry. Sorry, daily bread. He will give us our daily bread. <laughs> Must have misread. Surely, want, surely God wants us to give us today our daily bread. And let us trust you, Lord. He's given the rulership of his nations to his son Jesus. And Jesus is the only safe one who can wield that power. Do you understand? He is not going to go corrupt on us. He is the only safe one. Yep. You know, you've watched The Lord of the Rings. Some people love The Lord of the Rings. Some people don't. But in it is the ring of power. Whoever puts it on goes mad. Power mad. There is no one who can handle the power of having rulership and over everything. No one can do it. But there is one, sorry. He is Jesus. And he will always be good. And he will never turn to immorality and sin. He will use it only for good. He is the only one who will not get drunk with the wine of this woman. Can you hear that? Yeah. What the church needs is one ruler, and he's already there, ruling. Jesus. In Psalm 2, verse 7, uh, David says, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That's uh, Jesus. And, and God says to Jesus, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession." You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, in other words, have a listen, people. Jesus is ruling over all things. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Come to Jesus, lest he be angry. And you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. 
Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Can you hear that? There is one safe one. He is Jesus. Come to him. And all nations are his inheritance. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying you can trust Jesus. He is trustworthy. The path he will take you down is an eternally good one. So trust him. What does this mean for the life of the saint? Which is my third point. I want to stop here and take something out of it that's not in the passage. Can you see a great miracle here? God's grace has come to us. Where were we all? We were all riding the back of the devil, weren't we? We were all in that lust for everything, that, for power and tech and money and whatever else. We were trapped in the way of the world. We were in the seduction and God saved us out of that. How good is God? He saved sinners like us who were helpless and hopeless and could not get themselves out of that mess. He saved us. He is the God who is a father of mercy and grace and also the Holy One who will judge sin and somehow through the cross of Christ he snatches these twigs out of the fire as the, as, as the Bible says. Imagine that, you're on fire, you're about to turn to ash and Jesus puts in, he puts out the flame and he saves us. Okay. So, our place is not the pull back from this world and hide in fear and safe places and insulate ourselves because we're the ones who are given the words of eternal life and other people will be saved through us as we speak the message of the gospel, of the grace of God. He will use us to speak to others. How good is that? And many will be saved. Okay. Now, what I've been talking about, and I know I used the word last time, but I've been talking about a great conspiracy. We're all a bit afraid of conspiracies now, aren't we? Because that word's usually... This is... Uh, conspiracy means a group breath. And what it's saying is the world and the devil speak together of one message. A conspiracy. And we also hear many Christians speaking about conspiracies. And actually, I think that most of these people rightly distrust the world. They rightly distrust what's going on. I think the point where they can go wrong is that they use then try and save themselves with other aspects of the world. Do you understand? We know the world's wrong, so let's stockpile our weapons. Uh, let's use the gifts of this world to fight the evil. Do you understand? Let's stockpile our baked beans underground or whatever. We don't do that because, you see, what we're saying is we don't trust the world, so let's trust in our own world. And then we end up in the same hole. Do you understand? Saints live trusting in God. And we will be persecuted. We read that, didn't we? And we get persecuted trusting in God. We are those who live by faith. And so we are those who give up our desires for power and strength. For building our own security and safety from the world. This passage is really clear. This prostitute and this beast not only oppose God, they hate the saints. They're trying to destroy them or to tempt them into their lusts. So, what I'm saying, one thing is understand this. I want to say this. Truly, if you can hear me, don't desire power. Truly, really, 
Don't desire that power because you can't handle it. Desire submission to the King of Kings. Can you hear that? And truly, truly, I know this is, this is in a Western nation, this is so hard to say, but truly don't desire riches. Don't desire them because they will shipwreck your faith. They will replace God with an insatiable master. And don't seek the pleasure of this world in what it says will be pleasures, the sexual immorality that this world is full of. Don't run from this world. Do you hear me? It will not bring you pleasure. It will tear you apart. Don't entertain the idea that it might be good. It's not. Do you understand this? We do not have the ability to handle these things. We need to be in Christ, the one who has handled these things and will rule forever over them. So, Christians, live in submission to God. Be happy being normal little people. It's good. Because normal little people trust God. And you know what? Normal little people actually get manhandled a lot by this world. That's going to happen. Yep. And when that happens, trust in Jesus. We are in this passage called the called. Called by God. The chosen. How good is that? He's chosen us. The faithful saints. Do you know where it says they'll be? With the Lamb. That's Jesus. We're going to be with him. There is no better place to be than with him. And he is exercising his rulership and on his people he is gentle and lowly. And he is pure. Do you know this picture of the world and the devil? It is so dirty and disgusting. Just think about white purity for a minute. This is our Jesus. He is pure. Will we, we will face persecution. We'll be lied about. We'll be run down. We'll be gossiped about. We'll be ridiculed. And violence will be done against the saints. But we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Yep. By what Jesus has done and our witness to him. And that's it. And that's all we need. Okay. Now I'm going to tell you a really good, some really good news. And it comes from verses 15 to 18. This is the end of it. This is the end of that. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will, will hate the prostitute. Hang on, did you hear that? This is the one riding the back of one. They hate. The beast hates the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. The prostitute rides the back of the, of the devil. But in the end, they tear each other apart. They hate each other. They have one common purpose. They're riding in a direction. They're riding in the we hate God direction. But in the end, the devil will tear the world apart. Anybody who submits to the devil ends up torn apart. You know that in real life, don't you? That's where you end up. He uses them 
leads them and he hates them and he kills them. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. He will make it desolate, naked and devour our flesh and burn it up in fire. Satan takes people down with lust, money, sex and power and then strips them naked to die. But, I don't know if that sounds like good news to you, but I said it was good news, didn't I? But God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose of being of one mind. It's God's purposes, even in what the devil is doing. And he is going to, once and for all, destroy evil. In chapter 18, 19 and 20, we're going to see the great pit of sulphur. And one by one, all of God's enemies, the beast is thrown in there. Satan is thrown in there, yeah. The world is thrown in there. Death is thrown in there. The whole lot is burnt up. That's the good news here. Who's, getting thrown, who, who's doing the chucking here? It's Jesus. He's going to destroy all his enemies. He will punish the prostitute and the beast, and they will be forever destroyed. That is good news. Do you know that one day we're going to be in a world where there is no evil, none at all? Not even in your, not even in your own heart. Can't wait for that. It's going to be great, isn't it? I can't even picture what it's going to be like because it's so good, and yet I long for that day. God will destroy all evil. And so he wills it that there's this rivalry in the end. Because you see, if... The devil who wants to be like God then teaches the world you can be like God. At the end of the day, there's only one on top of the pile, eh? Oh, by the way, it's neither of those. It's Jesus who has all authority. That first prophecy that Jody spoke of in Genesis 3.15 of the one who had crushed the Satan, Satan's head. Yep, that's Jesus. And once and for all, he will triumph over evil and it will be gone. And nothing, no power in heaven or on earth can stop what God has planned. Nothing can stop it. Okay, my last point is this. I wanted to show you something which may be a little bit hidden in this passage, but in the longer context is easy to see. And that is, I started with this verse where he says, verse 1 Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Yeah, that's where we started with all our yucky stuff. Well, in verse chapter 21, verse 9, it says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Same, same sentence, except, yeah, I've shown you all this evil, but we're coming to a time of coming, I'm going to show you another woman, and she is no prostitute. She is someone who is pure and white, and she is glorious. Who is she? It's the church. God's beloved bride. The bride of Christ. How about that? Yeah, just in case you think, oh, it's a bit demeaning of women to talk about this whore all the time. Hey, there is a perfect woman. She's the bride of Christ. Do you know how perfect the, the church is? Completely forgiven. Completely loved by Christ. Nothing sinful in them. Absolute purity compared to all this mess of scarlet and purple and gold comes white. 
God's people. Redeemed, forgiven at the cross. And this woman, this bride, submits to her husband. How awesome is that? She loves her husband. She doesn't even desire to rule over him. She just loves him. That's our church, eh? And, by the way, when it comes to riches, she's got them. She's got the riches of heaven. She's got the pearl of great price, hasn't she? She's got Jesus as her husband. I tell you, you don't want anything more than to be married to Christ. There is nothing better in this world. Do you understand? She knows the love and mercy and grace that saved her. She knows her husband is her saviour who gave up his life for her. By the cross, he gave her eternal life. There's two women here. One is very, very beautiful, but she's simple. She's wearing white linen. Yep. And there's one who is terrible. Worship your husband, Jesus. Come to him. I'm going to pray. Father, this is confronting because it exposes what we know is in our hearts. We know we are filled with every kind of gaudy evil. And Father, even as believers in you, even as people with the Holy Spirit, again and again we fall back into the lusts of this world. So we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the bridegroom. We thank you that he has given us robes of righteousness. We thank you that he has washed us and made us pure. And we thank you that we get him for our eternal prize and that we can come to eternal life even after death, even after persecution, even after the pain of this world. And so, Father, I pray that you would powerfully work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit to expose the evil of this world, to help us to see that mystery of wickedness, that we might know it, and that we might not ever go there, but that we might just simply be those who submit to Jesus and the salvation that he's brought us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.